Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Beyonce, you look like Luther Vandross. Oh, but make it fashion. But you ain't heard that from me. Fierce. Can't Calm. stop. You see, when you do <laughs> clownery, the clown comes back I to bite. I ain't gonna sleep because of y'all. It's Britney, bitch. Y'all not gonna get we no sleep because of me. Who said that? Welcome to Back Issue. A weekly podcast that revisits formative moments in pop culture that we still think about. This week, our favorite daytime talk shows. You get a podcast. You get a podcast. You get a podcast. Everybody gets a podcast. Ah! And B. When it comes to five-month-old Elijah, Johnny, you are not. Each week, we'll go back into the past and revisit unforgettable moments that we all think we remember. And learn what they can teach us about where we are now. I'm Tracy Clayton. And I'm Josh Quinn. And this is The Ricky Lake Show. Go, Ricky! Go, Ricky! Go, Ricky! So, Tracy. Uh-huh. I know that you were obsessed with daytime TV. I'm obsessed with daytime TV. To this day. Can you tell me when your obsession started? Well, there was a time in my life where pretty much my days revolved completely around my stories, a.k.a. daytime TV talk shows. Early 90s, 93, 94, 95. I am 10, 11, 12 years old, okay? But in the middle of the day, though, I was an adult. You couldn't tell me nothing. That's how I felt anyway. And that's because of daytime TV talk shows. When I tell you that I got hooked, I'm talking about I set up my own personal VCR to record my very favorite shows. 
So there's Donahue, who is like this older white dude that's kind of wokish for the time. Then there's Sally Jesse Raphael. Sally was like just the messy auntie who comes to Thanksgiving dinner and brings up everybody's embarrassing situations like, oh, so you're still with Cheryl? Didn't Cheryl sleep with the man who came by to wash the dishwasher? And everybody's just like, my kids are right here, Sally. Then there was Maury Povich, who, believe it or not, children listening to this show, I know that his name is now synonymous with paternity tests, but Maury for a time would be like the fun uncle who comes through and like maybe he'll like give you a little sip of beer when your mama's not looking like, ah, it's all in fun, let's play some games. Then there was Jerry Springer. Jerry Springer would be the one that you do not invite to any family functions, but he shows up anyway with his like loud ass new girlfriend. Jerry was trash, like just complete unadulterated trash. And then there's Geraldo, which is somehow worse than Jerry. <laughs> He's the one who comes to Thanksgiving and you call the cops because you're like, I have a protective order against you. So I am a kid who now has like a glimpse and a window into adulthood. And I am a Kentuckian who has a glimpse into city life because a lot of these shows were taped in New York City, right? I don't think I had a sense of being isolated. I think that younger Tracy was looking to stay connected to the world and what was happening as it was happening. And going back to a time where my only responsibility was knowing how to set my VCR to record is just nice. <laughs> Tracy, I love the fact that you were obsessed with daytime talk shows. Mm -hmm. I was obsessed with daytime talk shows too. Back in the day, what you were doing was you were getting a, like a, a little private eavesdrop into all the cool group chats. Yeah. And like now you're like using it to avoid your phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Time truly is a flat circle. <laughs> but I think that we learn a lot about what culture was saying in the early aughts from these talk shows and how they existed in the 90s. Yeah, for sure. They're like little bitty time capsules. And it's also interesting for me to watch how daytime TV talk shows have progressed mm -hmm. through the years. Like, for example, do you know where tabloid TV talk shows even like originated from? Like how long have they been on the planet? No idea. That answer is incorrect. I am sorry. Wait, it is correct. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> oh, true. <laughs> My bad, my bad. You know I get competitive. You know how I do. <laughs> well, the first tabloid TV talk show premiered in 1954. Okay. There is a man named Les Crane. Mm -hmm. He had a late night talk show, and it was the first one to actually establish the structure that we know now, which is where, like, there's a host, and the host talks to, like, ordinary people, everyday people uh -huh. about something that's just, like, so over-the-top and sensational. And back in the day, the over-the-top and sensational guests, would you like to guess who they were? This is the 50s, right? This is 1950. 54. Yes, indeed. So, like, black people. Basically. Like, people who are, like, of different races, I'm guessing. What I read about it was that it was, like, black celebrities and also gays and lesbians. Ooh. Cutting edge. <laughs> Especially for 1954. Okay. According to Wikipedia, Les Crane is actually the first person who interviewed an openly gay man on the air. You say that homosexuality is not a sickness. 
And, uh, and it's not contagious. And it's I not mean, contagious. It isn't, you okay. are or are not a homosexual. It isn't something you become by choice. See, I, I, I have to differ with you. I have to argue with you on that one point there. Every time I revisit a talk show, Sally or Ricky or Jenny or whoever, like, I get nervous because I'm like, I know it's going to be some bullshit. I know it's going to be offensive. I know it's going to be terrible. Mm -hmm. So, child, listening to that in 1954, I just... But that's what makes it useful, right? Yeah. That's what makes it a really good barometer for mm -hmm. how far we've moved with culture or, like, what direction culture has gone because of the visceral reaction that you have in your body when you watch it today. Yeah, true. You're like, oh, wow, that mm -hmm. was not okay. <laughs> this is also a good way to create empathy, perhaps. Yeah. Like, looking back at what people had to go through in the 50s, I'm sure that, like, it was not comfortable for that man to be interviewed, you know? Mm -hmm. Because another hallmark of these shows is, like, a very aggressive interview style, you know? Sensational, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Exactly, exactly. So to, like, watch something like that and just be able to see what people had to go through and the weight that they had to carry, you know? It's just mm -hmm. like, man, I hate that for them. I hate that for y'all. Yeah. But yes, let's... Les Crane is the person to either thank or curse for this format and what became daytime TV talk shows. So fast forward to like the late 80s, 90s. That's what I think of as the golden age of the talk show. What was happening? What were they talking about? So around this time is when you see a lot of stories about infidelity. Mm -hmm. I watched an episode of Sally just yesterday about women who had affairs with their bosses and then were fired immediately afterwards. <gasps> Child, it was messy. It was, it was, it was I'm interesting. Sure. It was interesting. Ugh. Yeah, I know. So there's that. There's race. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh, race was a huge topic. And of course, like this is the early 90s, so there's so many areas that had not been like peeked into or talked about. Interracial dating was a really big one. Oh God. And then there was this phase, like even before that, where like they kept inviting clan members onto their shows. I remember Jerry Springer had one and Jerry Springer was about to get into a physical fight with this man. So they went to commercial break real quick and he came back and he apologized. Oh wow. So there was that, there was that episode of Geraldo, of course, where he got hit in the nose with a chair and broke his nose. Can you send this to me? I have reasons that I might want to put it on loop in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Whatever can help with your self-care. You know. <laughs> but yeah, what happened was he just invited a whole bunch of clans members onto the show. And this is when they would show up in like full like ghost costumes and Yikes. shit like that. It was so bad. And he also, of course, had black people sitting just like right next to him. And of course, shit pops off. People start fighting. Gerardo's in the middle of it. Somebody picks up a chair and throws it. Mm. He gets hit in the face and his nose is all bloody and smashed up. And what I hate the most is he was like, no, 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 let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. I can do it. I'm fine. You can see in his head that he's like calculating like the ratings and what it's going to do for his show. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it just makes me feel so gross. So let's fast forward a little bit to what may have been my very first talk show. That was Donahue. Okay. So Donahue was an OG, man. Yeah. I don't know if people realized it because I didn't realize that his show was on the air for nearly 30 years. 
His angle was more newsy and current event, mm. more so than like Jenny Jones and Ricky Lake, because he would have like Louis Farrakhan on. Donahue, two part program featuring Minister Louis Farrakhan. Um, I would just like to say that I am terrified that even you, someone who's obviously educated, has given up hope completely. Like when, when you call upon us, you say white folk, you say black people, Jewish people. Why can't we come together? We obviously can come together. We just have to, we just have to find a way to do it. The desire is good, but the reality is the total opposite of your desire. And unfortunately, as a young lady, you are not in the position of power to make the decisions to make America work. It was kind of like, you know, here's what's going on in the world today versus you slept with your sister's boyfriend while he was in the room. What the fuck? Versus what is the most crazy thing that you could think of happening to a person? Right, exactly. Those shows that you just mentioned mm-hmm. were my favorites. The ones where it's like, <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is this? Where did they find you people? Uh-huh. My two favorites were Ricky Lake and Jenny Jones. Like They are just like top tier, trash, daytime talk TV. It was just so good. I loved Ricky Lake. <laughs> Tell me what you love about Ricky Lake. Okay, first of all, there are the titles of the episodes. Iconic. Which are just so ridiculous. Like, sometimes they would rhyme. They would just always be like, what white woman is trying to write in slang? (laughs) Okay, so let's do a quick quiz if you are game, okay? Okay, let's do it. I have in front of me pairs of titles for Ricky Lake episodes. Uh Uh-huh. One of them will be an actual title of an actual episode of the show that actually aired. The other is something that I made up. Okay. You have to tell me which one is the real Ricky Lake episode title. Let's do it. Let's start with this. First one. I I slept with your mom, it's true, but I want to marry you. Okay. Or I'm gay, but today I want to try going the other way. I think the second one is real. I'm gay, but today I want to try going the other way. Mm-hmm. You are correct. All right. Yay! Okay. I like this game already. Okay, let's turn up the heat a little bit. Okay. All okay. right, let's try it. You got off welfare. Big deal. I get free money and I'm keeping it real. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> or mirror, mirror on the wall. I'm the hottest drag queen of all. I'm gonna go with the drag queen one because that's what I want it to be. That's what I would watch. Oh, I'm sorry. We do not live in a utopian society. Uh, And the right one is the welfare lady. Of course it is. The first one does feel more real because there was this obsession with like the idea of like a welfare queen or whatever in the 90s. That's true. And that was a big talk show topic. Uh huh. I just hope that all of the people that were on the episode were white. That's all I hope. You know, that's not true. All right. (laughs) Shall we do one more? Yeah, let's do one more. All right, your choices. You dissed me when I was fat, but now I'm back and I'm all that. Bars on bars on bars. Okay. And your other choice, Cinco de Mayo. That's it? That's it. I feel like it's Cinco de Mayo. (laughs) It's Cinco de Mayo. I knew it. Also, I would like to cap this off with my absolute favorite. Excuse me, girl, don't be misled. You're a pigeon, a hoochie, or a chicken head. <laughs> like, she gave you options. Like, <laughs> what? Love it. 
So other than the titles, what else did you love about Ricky Lake? I loved that there were so many Black people on the show. They were just so funny. I just love to hear people get read. Yeah, I mean, it's fun. They always came with some fire. I was like, I need to remember this one in case I get accosted on the schoolyard by somebody, you know? <laughs> well, actually, girlfriend, you ate all that and a bag of chips. Mm, 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 mm. Snaps in a Z formation. Exactly, exactly. But now when you think about the role that Black folks played on these shows, mm-hmm. how does it make you feel? Do you feel different? I do. It's really uncomfortable. Because the first thing that I think of looking back is... Why was there not a black show that was like the hub for black people in this way? You know what I mean? Because black people loved uh, to this day some Ricky Lake, Mm -hmm. some Jenny Jones, you know, Mm -hmm. but like the hosts, all white. Of course, there were other shows that followed. Queen Matifa had a couple of shows. Ananda had a show. There was Montel Williams. Robin Givens had a show for a while. Tempest Bledsoe. (gasps) Tempest Bledsoe. Remember Bledsoe? She looks really cute on it, too. Uh, I loved her hair. That's all I could Me, too. So Me, too. But, like, I mean, those shows didn't stick around. You know what I mean? Right. So that dynamic, it just feels really exploitive. Do you think that shows like this and, like, Jenny Jones mm-hmm. aged well? Mm-mm. 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 <laughs> For the most part, no. These shows and, like, the way that they present the people that they're relying on for their entertainment, the danger isn't just, like, philosophical. For example, the Jerry Springer show, which, as much trash as I consume, I was like, no thanks. It is just... (laughs) (laughs) It's just a little bit too much. Limits. Seriously, but before it even got to that point, I can remember so vividly how many shows, because it wasn't just Jerry Springer now, there were so many shows that were focused on making trans folks a spectacle versus getting involved in like their actual stories and lived experiences and treating them as humans, you know? It was all just like what cis people thought of trans Mm -hmm. people and like what their fascinations were, which is ugh. So gross, so gross. And like they would be on the show to tell their mate that they were actually born male. Yeah. And as soon as they heard that, of course, they reacted violently. And of course, seeing violence against trans people normalized in this way makes people feel like they have the green light to treat trans people that way, too. And it also legitimizes the premise that all of this violence is tied to, which is that these people are lying. They're faking. They're not real. They're pretending. They're trying to deceive you. And it's crazy that in the 90s, this was used as entertainment. This is something that's been used in real court cases, in real courtrooms. Real effects. Exactly. Impact. And wildly enough, it got mainstream attention from The Jenny Jones Show. A show that Jenny loved to do was, surprise, I have a crush on you. But of course, you know, like, this is the 90s, so if it's, like, a same-sex crush, like, oh, my God, like, the audience is going right. to go crazy and the ratings are going to be wild. And so this one guy named Scott brings this guy named Jonathan and another female friend of theirs to the show. And Scott is there to confess his crush on Jonathan. Before Jonathan comes out... Jenny is, like, pushing Scott for, like, salacious details. Like, do you fantasize about him? Like, what do they include? Like, what would you want to do? Like, champagne, tie him up. You know, shit like that. And that's before he gets out on stage. Mm -hmm. So dude comes out on stage. He sits down. And you can already tell he looks nervous, right? Mm -hmm. Jenny's like, go ahead. Scott has something that he wants to tell you. And Scott's like, I have a crush on you. And then Jenny played the clip of Scott talking about, like, whipped cream and tying up or whatever that Jenny had, like, got him to talk about. 
And so all of that, like, Jonathan just kind of, like, loses his shit. He's really embarrassed. He's uncomfortable. I don't know if it was just, like, you know, your standard homophobia. I don't know if he had, like, some inner issues he was going through or whatever. But long story short, he goes and he buys a shotgun. And it's not like he already had the shotgun. He intentionally went out to go buy a shotgun Mm. to come back and intentionally shoot and kill this man. And you know what? Gay panic was the defense. How fucked up is that? Extremely fucked up. This instinct in the 90s for shows to focus on what was salacious, what was the lowest common denominator, what was going Mm -hmm. to sell the most things had real life impacts. People always talk about how we need to focus on the interiority of people and like give people the right to exist in 360 and to be full Mm -hmm. versions of themselves. And this is why. Because when you focus on the salacious... It has real impacts, and those impacts affect the people involved Mm -hmm. and also people within these marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. And so, when we think about the 90s, the salaciousness of the talk show format. And how exploitive it was. And how exploitive it was. Everyone did it. Everyone participated. Even... (sighs) Oh no, do we need to take a break? I love her, but she'll tell you herself that she stuck her toe in Mm -hmm. and was like, nah, I'm never doing that again, fam. (laughs) And I'm talking about Oprah. Like, when we think of Oprah today, we think of this character who's larger than life, who Mm -hmm. hands out cars, who has her favorite things. But she didn't always start that way. She was a human being who was coming up in this industry and had to figure it out herself. And she talks about this extremely pivotal moment in 1988 where she had skinheads on her show as being the moment in which she reevaluated her platform and what she was doing. I just heard what you said. You just said, I don't sit with monkeys. You think because she's black, because I'm black, we're, we're, we're monkeys? Is that? That's a proven fact. That's a proven fact? <laughs> it's a proven fact that I'm a monkey? Could be. But, you know, <laughs> you know, go ahead, go first ahead. First thing I want to get off my mind is, no, I want to talk about this monkey you know, stuff. This skin is She talks about this episode as being the one that, like, changed the way that she talks about race on the show. And it also made her realize how influential that she was. The power of her platform. And she was just like, you know what? There's enough shit out there. I need to use this for good, basically. Right. Exactly. Like, her intention was to point out the holes in these skinheads' logic. But instead, Mm -hmm. what she did was she gave them a platform to espouse this bullshit. Mm -hmm. And I don't think she ever looked at her show and her platform the same. Oprah pivoted and really changed this format from being something that reflected what was currently happening in America Mm -hmm. to something that she thought should happen in America, where she thought we should go. Mm. Obviously, the first thing that I think of is the Legends Ball. Mary J. Blige, John Legend, Tina Turner, Maria Shriver, Alicia Keys, Diana Ross, and more. Oprah Winfrey's Legends Ball. Did you know the origin story of the Legends Ball? I actually do not. No, tell me. Okay, so Oprah forgot to invite Cicely Tyson to her birthday one time. (laughs) Instead of just inviting her to your next party, she decides to have her over, and then one thing leads to another, and then another thing leads to another, and then all of a sudden she's having a garden party brunch luncheon with the iconic legends of our lifetime. So you trying to tell me that the gathering of the likes of Tina Turner, Maya Angelou, Diana Ross. Everybody. It all started because Oprah 
forgot to invite Cicely Tyson to her birthday. Wow! So she has this big-ass luncheon party, and they're all just passing the mic, literally singing impromptu like it's church. Oh, my god! You hear Shaka Khan pass it to Gladys Knight. Came into my life. And I walk it every day. These legendary singers blew us away, and not one note was planned or rehearsed. All of these singers, and then you... One of my favorite moments is <laughs> Maria Shriver, who somehow got an invitation to this iconic <laughs> moment in Black history. Um, and she's Wait. sitting over here talking about, I was just like, I hope they didn't pass me the mic. <laughs> Girl, if we wanted to hear Ring Around the Rosie, we would pass you the mic. But Gladys is wow. right there. How dare you? <laughs> Also, how did she get there? How did she get there? <laughs> One of the most iconic moments for me was James Fry, the guy who, quote unquote, wrote that book, A Million Little Pieces. What is the truth? <laughs> so what happened was James Fry had wrote this book called A Million Little Pieces and mm-hmm. it was all about addiction and recovery and it was very moving and you know that it was moving because in 2005 Oprah picked it for her book club. Right. She only puts books that are moving <laughs> in her book club, right? Right. Since people trusted Oprah, of course they trust the authors, right? Right. So everybody believes his story and then like three months later there was a report from The Smoking Gun. Remember that website? Is it still Oh my up? god, yeah. The Smoking Gun at the time was big on like uncovering like scandals and shit like uh-huh. that, hoaxes. And so they released a report called The Man Who Conned Oprah. Oh, uh, do you know how pissed she had to been to see that title? I wouldn't tell nobody I came up with the title if I did. Written by Redacted. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. First of all, I wanted to start with, with the smoking gun report titled The Man Who Conned Oprah. And I want to know where they write. I think most of what they wrote was pretty accurate, absolutely. James Fry's book, it was largely exaggerated, which to me is just like some lying ass shit. White dudes just be lying. They just and be lying. And getting away with it and failing. Uh. This is one of those moments that truly sticks with me. Oprah feels crossed mm-hmm. and she's like, you know what? You messed with the wrong one. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one thing that we know for sure is that Oprah is a legend. She had like 4,500 episodes of her talk show. That's wild. And that includes like tens of thousands of interviews because a lot of times she had a bunch of people up on that stage. Mm -hmm. Not everyone can do what she does. Like that's why she's Oprah. True. She used to do this little segment at the end where she would just sit there and let people ask her questions. And somebody was like, I'm going to name my daughter Oprah after you. And she was like, no, 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 don't do that. There's only one Oprah and I've I've got this covered. (laughs) (laughs) A blue, blue. (laughs) But knowing your worth, right? Seriously. it, It led to a lot of other people being like, how do we make a show that fits in the space but is different somehow. Mm-hmm. Enter the ensemble, The View. I had this idea for a show. Different women. Different points of view. Maybe a little too different. We call it The View. Oh, you love The View so much. I love <laughs> The View. The thing about The View for me is the way that it really reflects its time. 
So like you had Sally, Jesse, Raphael, you had Ricky and the gang, and they fulfilled mm-hmm. this need for salaciousness. And Oprah pivoted that need for salaciousness to content with depth and aspiration and spirituality. Right. The View, which premiered in 1997 and is still running, came at this moment where the wave was more about making room for women to speak and the show really reflected that. Mm. You had Barbara Walters, who Oprah will admit, she started her career imitating. Really? Yeah, she said that she had to stop because one time she said, instead of saying Canada, she said Canada. On <laughs> <laughs> she was like, then I was like, I had to start being myself. But on The View, you had Barbara Walters and her panel of women who all represented different ideological viewpoints. And mm-hmm. they get together and they have coffee on daytime television. Oh, was coffee part of it? I mean, they all have mugs. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So I've seen The View. I'm into it, but I don't know all of its ins and outs and like rotating cast members and stuff like you do. I could write you a 30-page thesis on the movement of the people within The View (laughs) ecosystem, but... If I were going to explain to someone what The View was, if they've never seen an episode, I would point them to this clip. Oh, I know what it between is. Between Rosie O'Donnell. I knew it. And Elizabeth Hasselbeck. Oh, man. They're your thoughts. Defend your own insinuations. I defend my thoughts. Defend your own thoughts. Right, but every time I defend them, Elizabeth, it's poor little Elizabeth that I'm picking on. You know what? Poor little Elizabeth is not poor little Elizabeth, That's okay? right. That's why I'm not going to fight with you anymore, that. because it's absurd. So for three weeks, you could say all the Republican crap you want. They started fighting, and the producer said, go, and they put up that split screen. Is that the first time that that happened? Usually they have, like, a wide shot, and you can see, like, the different people Uh at the table. But this is the first time that they put up a visual indicator that Mm. these people are fighting. It's this side versus this side. I... Until now, did not realize, like, what a big line of demarcation the split screen was. What were the implications of the split screen happening? What was happening on the show was a representation of what was happening in the country. Right. Rosie was very cognizant of how she showed up on that show, how she used her Mm -hmm. platform on that show. She was one of the first people to make fun of Donald Trump on national television. He's the moral authority. Left the first wife, had an affair. Left the second wife, had an affair. Had kids both times, but He's the moral compass for 20-year-olds in America. Donald, sit and spin, my friend. She said it herself. Mm -hmm. They were going to play it like Rosie was the villain. And because Elizabeth Hasselbeck represented this era of Republican politics where it was like about family values and being chased. Like that is what the Republican Party was at that moment. Mm -hmm. If the Mm -hmm. split screen hadn't happened, people might not have left, which means that the show wouldn't have gone and pivoted in the different directions that it went to. And then it might not end up where it is now as a heavy political analysis show that people underestimate because it's a panel of women in the daytime. Mm. There isn't a presidential candidate for this year that did not go on The View. Mm -hmm. I think this is the allure of daytime talk TV. Like, it gives us the space to live out these micro parts of our personal Mm. lives and our collective lives and what we think society looks like and what we think it should look like. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's in small problematic doses, especially in the 90s. 
but it's getting better. And I think that the tide is turning. Like if you think of like Donahue to the 90s to what The View is doing right now, uh-huh. the tone is very different. The content is very different. The level of thoughtfulness feels different. Mm. And it makes me feel like we're moving as a culture. After the break, we talked to former co-host of The View, the very booked and very busy Sherry Shepard, about why being on the show was the best and most painful experience of her career. Plus, we get the tea on what it was like to be in the middle of the Rosie and Elizabeth split-screen showdown. Bam! How's that alliteration? It was great. Answered for you. You're welcome. (laughs) Also, thanks. (laughs) Stay with us. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. And I want to tell you about a podcast I think you're going to love. Who Weekly is a podcast about everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Does celebrity news stress you out? Are there too many people you've literally never heard of? Check out Who Weekly, a podcast hosted by Lindsay Weber and me, Bobby Finger. Each episode goes deep into the biggest Who Liberty stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we'll answer the most burning listener queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly on the Odyssey app or wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now, I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully, no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Firstly and foremostly, thank you so much for being so generous with your time, especially since The View is like Josh's favorite shit ever, ever, ever. Aww. It's my shit. <laughs> so we're so excited to have you here. Thank you. The View is such an iconic show. You can tell that it was iconic and impactful because there were people that were trying to replicate the format. Yeah. Down to the names. The real, the talk, the chew. Oh, don't get it twisted. When Wendy Williams was like, we're going to do hot topics, I was like, hey, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> you gonna blatantly take our name? That's our brand. Oh, we was not happy at all. Yeah. Like, how you gonna actually look in our face and take hot topics? That's not yours. Yeah. But, you know, Barbara Walters used to say it's very flattering because it all started with us, even down to the names, the talk, yeah. the real, the this, the yeah. that, you know. It's everything is an offshoot. The view was the one that started it all. Prior to The View, were you a big daytime talk fan? Oh my gosh, I love daytime talk. You know, I, I used to watch Ellen when she first started. And then back when I was with my grandmother, she had uh, the Phil Donahue show on. Yes, Donahue. It'd be reruns of Dinah Shore on. Mm. Merv Griffin, she used to watch. She used to watch Johnny Carson. Mm-hmm. I was always, I love pop culture talk shows. So yeah, I loved it. Absolutely. 
when you started at The View, were you already a fan of the show? I was a fan of the show. As a matter of fact, I was doing a show called Less Than Perfect with Andy Dick and Zachary Levi, who's in Shazam, Mm -hmm. and uh, Eric Roberts. And everybody on the show got on The View except me. It was only because Johnny Cochran, that sounds terrible, had passed away. Mm. And Star Jones had to fly to his funeral very quickly. And that was really one of the days that my publicist had called going, hey, can I talk to you about Sherry Shepard again? They had nobody scheduled. So they were like, okay, we will give her a chance to sit at the table. Because wow. we have nobody. You don't get ready when the opportunity comes. You have to be ready. Stay ready, yeah, yeah. And I was on bed rest with my son Jeffrey, my uh, OBGYN. She said, you can't fly. And I said, am I going to have the baby on the plane? She said, no, but you shouldn't. I was like, well, as long as I won't have the baby, I'm going. Because I don't know when this opportunity is going to come again. And I flew out there, did it, came back home, and they wanted me out the next week. Wow. So I did it maybe 19 times filled in. Yeah. Thank God you did, because that lineup is one of the most iconic view lineups of all time. It was just like such a great chemistry that you guys had. Mm -hmm. Um, And fast forward to August 2020, when you were talking to People Magazine, you said that the view was the most painful experience that I've ever gone through, but it was the best experience. Yeah. Why was it painful and why was it the best experience? Um, It was painful because I was out there in New York for the first time. I had no friends. The ladies, it wasn't that they were mean to me. They were so wonderful to me, but they all had lives. So when The View ended, they went home. Mm. And now I was on a show where people knew my name. Like before I was, are you that black girl on on that show? Mm. So now it's, oh, you're Sherry Shepard. What you doing here at Macy? Sherry Mm -hmm. Shepard. That was a (laughs) lot for me. Plus I was going through a divorce at the time and a custody battle flying back uh, home every week. Mm. It was so much coming to me. And then I had this woman named Barbara Walters <laughs> who was so hard on me. Mm-hmm. Barbara Walters is a perfectionist. She grew up in a time period where she was the only woman, so she had to fight. Mm. She was hard. And I came from a place of, I just made everybody laugh. Yeah. Now I got this woman going, you got to know about politics. You got to know about history. You got to know. You got to jump in and ask the questions. You know. And I was like, it's, it's so much. Yeah. She was very hard on me and I cried I later I would go in my dressing room when we finish and I would cry mm. when Obama came in for the very first time oh, we sat there and Barbara said you answer question one Whoopi's question number two Joy you're three Elizabeth you're four Sherry answer seven so when we sat there I was like we're gonna go in order mm-hmm. as soon as they came on it was a free-for-all. And I was, wow, it, was really? it, it was like, yeah, it was like playing double dutch and I couldn't get in. Mm. I couldn't get in. And so I didn't say anything. And and Barbara called me down and she said, why didn't you ask your question? And I said, because everybody was, <laughs> yeah, you said I was number seven. <laughs> Joy came in and then she followed the rules. I'm trying to follow the rules. And she said, if you don't open your mouth, you will never get in. I will eat you alive. Learn to speak. Now, when a woman is looking at you going, learn to talk, dear. Read a book, dear. Oh, God. It's intimidating. And it's Barbara Walters? Right. I'm not lying to you. just like regular aunties at church. It's Barbara the Walters. Barbara ain't don't play. Mm. She's very hard on you. Whoopi was hard on me. But I used to say, why? you so hard on me Mm. why you you know you're not hard on Elizabeth like that now I completely understand it was like she was protecting me there is a very famous famous rapper and there was a story about a child custody child support issue 
And so we came in hot topics, and I was like, I want to talk about this, because he did it. He did it. <laughs> and Barbara and Joy was like, yeah, let's talk about it. And Whoopi said, we're not going to talk about that. So Barbara mm. said, well, then if Whoopi doesn't want to, we're not going to. Mm. Now, it was hard enough to get my stuff up to the table, because you had to right. pitch your behind off. Mm -hmm. Barbara, she had a big saying, who cares in Wyoming? Meaning, you got to take it out of New York and L.A. Mm. The middle of the country, if they don't care about it, we're not doing it. So you had to have an angle for everything. And I went into Whoopi's room and I was like, you always doing this to me. Why you, mm -hmm. we can't talk about my thing. And she said, darling, if Elizabeth Hasselbeck goes to a club and she sees this particular rapper, ain't nothing gonna happen. Not a thing. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't dare. However, if you go in a club and there is an incident, nobody may get involved because this is black on black thing. Mm -hmm. So we are not going to do that because Actors and entertainers and rappers, they have long memories. And you, my dear, are going to go further than this show right here. Aww. You are going to work beyond this show right here. And I was like, yeah, but you... Oh, oh. And she's right. There is a thing of being strategic on a talk show. I appreciate that Whoopi looked out for me in that way mm -hmm. and gave me all of that advice. When, when they wanted me to host the newlywed game, I was offered that. Back then, you didn't see a lot of celebrities doing it. Mm -hmm. And so everybody said, that's going to mess up you as an actress. Whoopi came in my room and she said, let me tell you about these MFs. Mm -hmm. She said, I hosted the uh, Hollywood Squares. Yep. Nobody is going to pay your son's bills, mm -hmm. his private school, his therapy. None of these MFs will send you a card at Christmas. On, so now. F them. You go hold your head up high and you do the newlywed game and i did four seasons of the newlywed game it still airs it was able to pay all my lawyers fees come on and it's stuff like that that i appreciate about karen johnson will be going but i'm gonna tell you it was the best experience and that barbara helped me when i started the view my voice was way out here and high like this now it's like this barbara helped me find my voice mm. and that is from barbara looking at me going read a book i can talk politics with you 24 7 I love politics. I came a long way from going, I don't know if the earth is round or flat, and that was because of Barbara <laughs> Walters. Mm. So that's why I said it was one of the best experiences of my life because I learned to be a grown-ass woman. Wow. I evolved into a grown-ass woman. And, and I made a lot of mistakes. I made, because we're live and you don't have a net. There's no editing. Speaking of it being completely live, one of the most iconic moments that I think of when I think of The View was the moment between Rosie and Elizabeth that you uh, and Joy were there for. Yes. And I would love to know <laughs> when it started getting real and when you could see that there was a split screen up. What was your thought process? Were you like, uh, is this really happening? Yeah, it was, uh, and I'm sure you were horrified, like, what the heck is going, going on? on? But I'm going to tell you, even before that, it was a lot of tension. Yeah. That secured my job, actually. That is what mm. made them hire me, because I was supposed to do it one day, and Kathy Griffin was supposed to do one day. And so I got the day. And when we walked in, it was just tension. You could cut the air with a razor knife. Wow. It was just uncomfortable. All our hair and makeup team were black women. Ooh. So I said to them, I said, I said, does anybody speak in tongues? <laughs> <laughs> and Karen DePiche, our four-time Emmy winning makeup artist, she said, I don't speak in tongues. I said, all oh, y'all black people, nobody speak in tongues. <laughs> 
I mean, I was like, whatever is going on here is so spiritual. I don't okay. know what is. Ha- I mean, so it was all of that before we even got to the table. Wow. Elizabeth okay. and Rosie were on opposite sides of the room. And so when we sat at that table, we, you know, having a good time. And then all of a sudden, it just was like, boom. Then they did this split screen. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Mm. We went to break. I said to Joy, we need to make them laugh. Mm. We need to pretend like we're getting up, walking away. That's right. what it was. And so she was like, yeah, so we, pre- we pretend like we were getting up to crowd laugh. Because if you could see the crowd, it was, look, it was like kids looking at their parents physically fighting. It was horrific. Uh, Layla Ali was a guest on later. And I remember Layla was like, y'all is crazy over here. This, I ain't never <laughs> even had said, a... Look, I fight, but y'all yeah, are she okay. was like, y'all... <laughs> Layla goes, I ain't had no boxing match this bad. But Alicia Silverstone was shaking like a leaf. That's how bad it was. And then uh, Rosie said to me, she said, I can't take this no more. And she said, I'm glad you were here. And afterwards, Elizabeth was going off on Rosie. Rosie was like, I can't take this. I'm so out of here. And then she, I don't think she came back. Mm-hmm. I don't think Rosie came back after that. Wow. It was crazy. But what happened, why I got the job was because Kathy came on the next day and all she, everybody, nobody wanted to talk about it. And Kathy kept trying to bring it up. <laughs> Kathy kept trying to bring it up and nobody wanted to talk about it. Also, all of these news outlets were calling me. We'll fly you in to discuss it. We'll, and I kept saying, my name is Bennett. I ain't in it. And I was like, that's none of my business. So what Bill Getty and Barbara liked was the fact that he said, you did not make the view everybody's business. Mm-hmm. Kathy, um, she, she was banned for like a year. She didn't come on The View for it. It was about a year or two. And um, because of that very thing, because she would tell stuff that went on in the Hot Topics room. That was the thing. Whatever we said in the Hot Topics room was sacred. You could say racist jokes. You could say it was sacred. It did not leave. And Kathy would tell. And so that is what got me the job. They loved the fact that I knew how to keep my mouth Mm. shut. I know that you've talked a lot about how You respected the people that you were working with because you weren't getting paid as much as you thought you deserved and they helped you in terms of negotiating what you were actually worth. Oh my God, I love these stories. I love it, I love it, I love it. Is that something that happens a lot in this space in terms of like people actually helping each other <laughs> and no. doing the right yeah, thing. Yeah, like the mentoring. The mentoring is one thing, but it's been very close as far as salary. People are very reticent mm. to talk about what they make, you know, because mm-hmm. we, you know, they they make us scared. They make us scared. Like if I tell you what I make, then I'm not going to be able to get, you know, they're not going to give it to me or it's going to be mm-hmm. taken. And so people don't want to talk about their salary. I am one that is a believer in that because Rosie O'Donnell, I will scream this to the moon. What they offered me was less than what Elizabeth Hasselbeck was making. And I love my girl. But what Lizzie was making, she came off of, she was working with Puma. She had done Survivor. I came with credits to my name and I was getting offered less. And I knew that because Rosie contacted me and she said, if you need any help. And I said, Rosie, I'm not trying to be like crazy greedy. It's not enough to live in New York with what they're offering me. I remember they only wanted to give me 7500 to relocate. And I'm like, to relocate is just not enough. I got a son with special needs, wow. a nanny, and me. And so Rosie mm. O'Donnell literally was like, this is how much I make. This is how much Joy makes. This is how much Elizabeth makes. So you need to now go in and ask for what I make. And I did. And I went back to Rosie. I was like, they said, bitch, are you crazy? So that <laughs> amount is not working. So she told me to come down. She 
said, get perks. You know, you got to go see your son every week. So they ended up giving me like 10 first class tickets to fly back every week and then eight coach. And then um, everything she helped me negotiate. So I knew, okay, well, this is what Elizabeth is making. They're offering me less than that. This is what Joy is making. And we kind of maybe on the same part. So I knew what to ask for. And she said, don't go below it. And so I tell you the 7,500 relocation fee. At the end, they ended up giving me $85,000. So I always tell people, I always tell people when you are negotiating, do not take the first amount that is offered. Even if it's a great amount. That's what Omarosa said. And, and if Omarosa, <laughs> I don't agree with Omarosa on 100% of the things, okay. but that thing. Okay. And that is true because even if it's a good amount, they got money. They may not have a they lot, but you money. still got it. We're exactly. not used to asking. We're used to going, oh my gosh, I ain't never made this amount. I'm going to be yeah. happy. No, mm-hmm. they have they money. And I'm going to tell you, Jenny McCarthy came in making what it took me five or six years to make. Jenny McCarthy wow. came in making, and, and she could have got more. And I told Jenny, I said, because we've known each other for a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. I said, girl, and they told Jenny, don't tell anybody. Don't say anything. And I said, Jenny, had you told me, you could have gotten more because you don't know. You was the only one that they had uh, talked to. There was nobody. Mm -hmm. We need to start this show in two weeks. And they ain't talked to nobody. You are the only one that has been guest hosting. So you got Mm -hmm. leverage. So you mm-hmm. actually could have made more if you had come in. She said, I know, but they told me not to say anything. And I was scared because it was like they threatened you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's how Rosie helped me get the money that I deserved. And I will forever be thankful because I tell people all the time. I mean, you know, in deals that I do now, there are actresses who will come and go, hey, sis, this is what I'm making. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, this is what I'm making. So, you know. If Sherry's making this, then this is what I need to be asking for. That's the way we get our money up. It truly uh-huh. is. Yeah. And that's how I found out. Never say yes to the first amount of money. Always say no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Always. And that's also what's going to make it harder for them to keep fucking people over that Absolutely. Yeah, for everyone that comes after you. For everybody that comes after you. Speaking of the people that come after you, as someone who sat at that table... What do you think the importance of daytime talk shows is in our culture right now, especially given how divided our national discourse is? You know, I think it's so great because there are so many people who don't get their news except for talk shows. Mm -hmm. That's that's how they get it. And, you know, you get to hear varied opinions. So it's not just this myopic view of one candidate. And I think it's really, really good for people. And I think sometimes you can change your mind or heart Mm -hmm. with your opinion. So I'm all for it. And then sometimes you can look at the TV and go, I can't stand you. Ooh, you get on my damn nerves. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But there's somebody for everybody at that table. So I think it's so important to our culture right now because a lot of people, they don't look at CNN. They don't read the paper. So something like The Real, who is getting to the younger people, And they're talking to them about politics and about how it affects their lives. Somebody like Wendy Williams, she's talking to a segment of people. Mm -hmm. So it's so important. You can't take away talk shows. I think this is the the reason why The View has lasted so long, because Barbara Walters would always let us know it is never the hosts that make The View. Everybody's expendable. It's the show. Mm -hmm. What is the difference between working in a job where your job is to give your take, your opinion on something versus something like Mr. Iglesias where you're in a role and you're someone else? Do you prefer one over the other? 
No, I feel so blessed that I get to do everything, that I get to be an actress and that I get to do talk. And The View was very accommodating. When I did Precious, Barbara let me off mm -hmm. to do Precious. She wasn't happy when I did Dancing with the Stars, not at all, because she, <laughs> she uh, and I had people feeling for me, Niecy Nash, Yvette Nicole Brown, Kim <laughs> Post. They would call me, they'd be like, oh, that lady mean. She keeps saying, when you, when you coming back? When is, when is Sherry coming back? But she allowed me to do, I was able to do 30 Rock while I was doing The View. So everybody was thank God. Yes, and I mean, so I was able to fly out. So and I was scared when I came back to LA because Niecy Nash said, "Sherry, but you need to be in LA. You got to be in the center of where things are going on, so people will remember you." And I came out here, and I was so scared that I had been on the View for so long that people would have forgotten I was an actress. And I'm telling you, it, it, I, I booked a series regular with John Lithgow as soon as I got back. People mm -hmm. did not forget. So I'm on a show right now with Kira Sedgwick, Kevin Bacon's wife, mm -hmm. on ABC, doing that, doing Mr. Iglesias, and doing Dish Nation. Ooh, so, you so busy? I am. <laughs> it would, it would, if I could be having some sex, it would fill out my life, but you know, <laughs> you can't have everything. Uh, well, they say the Lord will give it to you when you're ready. Yeah, and I, obviously he feel like you still got them hope thoughts, so no, you're not going to have, you're not getting nothing. <laughs> Miss Sherry Shepard, this, of course, has been a joy and we're so grateful oh, and so thank thankful you. for what you do. Real quick, tell folks where they can find you on the internet. So you social media in, are you sliding in DMs on Instagram? If you, look, let me tell you something. <laughs> if you a dude, cause I'm single, if you don't have a side tooth, please do not slide in my DMs. I need you to have, I don't want the air going through the hole. Please have a side. But no, no, you, my, my uh, social media is at Sherry E. Shepherd, and I, we got two funny mamas. Hopefully we'll be taking that on the road. Our two funny Mama's podcast. Mm -hmm. Mystery Glacius is on Netflix. I have a show called Call Your Mother with Kira Sedgwick coming out on ABC. Mm. And then uh, a movie called Best Week Ever. It's my first musical where I sing and dance. Oh, come on. Uh, musical. Girl, I sound like a black cat Benatar. I couldn't believe it. I, I, <laughs> Hit me with your best shot. <laughs> Hit me with your best shot. come to that part of the party where we try to make Tyra Banks proud and learn something from this. So, did we learn something from this? I think we did. What did we learn? So, we started with this question about like what talk shows do. Yeah. And what daytime reflected about the culture that they were in. Mm -hmm. One thing that it brings up for me is that if talk shows are a reflection of the time that they're in, then they can also be a reflection of how we've evolved on certain topics. Like you were talking about a lot of the salacious topics from the nineties and it gives me a little bit of comfort, albeit not much, <laughs> but a little <laughs> bit. Take it where you can. A little bit that if we were watching a daytime talk show today mm -hmm. and they had a segment, and the segment was, this person's on because they're gay. And we'll be like, what? What? 
(laughs) (laughs) Right. I do think that now, if people were to have a talk show on daytime and somebody were to be brought out about infidelity, for example, which you said was a really big trope in the 90s, it would be more about advice or like Mm. some way to grow emotionally as opposed to like, look at this, isn't it crazy? Yeah, that's very, very true. Mm Mm-hmm. I learned something too. What? So I learned that you can be a product of your time, but still be responsible in the things that you do. And that's what I learned through talking about Oprah. Right. Because, you know, she started off, you know, in the trenches with Donahue and Geraldo and all them. And she was the one who made an intentional choice to just be thoughtful and cognizant of what she was putting out into the world. It's not about where you start. It's about the choices you make along the way. Are you going to react? Are you going to learn? Exactly. I mean, I think a lot about what the future of this medium is and like how trends are going to move, right? Mm -hmm. I think what's interesting is that you're seeing a lot of like online versions of this medium pop up. Red Table Talk with the Smiths. And all their entanglements. (laughs) And you see Z-Way's show Baited and they're having a lot more Mm -hmm. like emotionally intelligent conversations. I think the center of the actual programming, especially with Red Table Talk, is like, I did this thing wrong. How do I fix it? Yeah. I think it's a reflection of The increased access that we have now to like the means of production with social media, not having to go through somebody else. I do wonder what's going to happen in this particular genre or industry with COVID, right? Right. Because like we've already seen a whole lot more podcasts popping Mm -hmm. up, but we also see a lot of people just like hanging out on IG Live. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that because everyone can get up and make a podcast, because everyone can get online and start an IG Mm -hmm. channel, You're seeing a democratization of content. Mm -hmm. I do think that overall, especially in these spaces that have been traditionally gatekeepers, like the network spaces, Mm -hmm. you're seeing people get tired of the petty. Mm. I think a lot of it is probably because the pettiest motherfucker in the world is president of this place where we live in right now. But another thing that I've learned is that there will always be mess. There will always be pettiness. People still love Wendy Williams. Yeah. I'm just saying, how long will they? I don't know. Maybe it's like the Pollyanna in me. Maybe it's like the optimist in me. Maybe that part of me has not quite died yet, which is shocking. But (laughs) (laughs) I really do think that people are getting tired of the petty and of feeling the causticness of our culture. And I think that one way that you can see that is how we talk to each other. And one of the ways that you can see how we talk to each other is on these talk show platforms. Back Issue is a production of Pineapple Street Studios. This show was created and is hosted by Tracy Clayton. That's me and Josh Quinn. That's not me. (laughs) (laughs) Our lead producers are Josh Quinn and Emmanuel Hapsis. Our managing producer is John Asante. Our senior editor is Leela Day. Our associate producers are Alexis Moore and Zandra Allen. Our intern is Brianna Garrett. Special thanks to Gabrielle Young. Our executive producers are Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. 
Also, in this episode, we talked about the Legends Ball, which has been a big dream of mine. If you want to learn more about it, which you should, you should check out this amazing podcast called The Nod. It's hosted by Brittany Luce and Eric Eddings. Yay! And they dedicated an entire episode to the Legends Ball in which they refer to it as the Avengers of the Aunties. Hooked. You should be. Check it out. Well, I want to watch that movie. <laughs> the Adventures of the Aunties? Oh, come through. Come through. <laughs> All I see is boots. <laughs> and bobs. Yes. <laughs> and walking with a purse in the same direction. Yes. And calling it a pocketbook. Okay. It's not a purse. <laughs> <laughs> This show features music made by the one and only Don Will. You can follow him at DJ Don Will on all the socials. And you can follow me on at least two of the socials at Brookie McPoverty. And you can follow me at Regarding Josh. Subscribe to this podcast wherever free podcasts are sold. If you want, you can argue about it with a split screen. Wow. Someone is still quite messy. I'll work on it. See you next week. Bye. So I just want to get some snaps, if we can. Uh-uh. No. Uh-uh. No. <laughs> no. No. What is the opposite of Ashe? <laughs> what is the opposite? I shouldn't. 